It's a paranormal potpourri kind of night as we are in the thick of things of Paranormal Christmas. It's September. It's time to talk about all kinds of weird things, all kinds of strange things, all kinds of ghostly things, and wherever else the paranormal will take us. Episode 471 of Spooky South Coast. It starts right now. South Coast, Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin Matt Costa and science advisor Matt Moniz. We are here to talk about the paranormal, as we are each and every Saturday night. And uh, and that's certainly, I, I like that version, Matt Costa, of the, the remixed edition of spooky, of the Spooky South Coast theme. Right, it was nice. Is, is that Beautiful. actually, did, did you, you kind of messed around with that, or is that... No, no, I, I just... Uh... So that's Pull that the, right off of uh, SoundCloud. Epistaxis. Uh, Epis- What's the name of the, the band? Epistaxis. Is, is that the band or is that the song? Yeah. Uh, that's the um, that's the song. All it's right. The 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 band is uh, under the question. Under the question. That's right. Our, I was going to say Dave. Uh, Dave Dave's, Dave's yep. going to kill me for not remembering <laughs> that. But uh, he's, he's got a few. He's got a few uh, projects that are going on. Yeah. No. They so. did some great stuff, and and I I like the feel of you know we've been using that for a while now for our opening theme song, but. I like that fresher version. That, that's. I think it's time that we switched it up a little bit. Like switching microphones. Yes. Which I don't. That one is what three. Uh, and this one is number four. All right. So you're on four. You're on two. I'm on one. It's been a while since we've had multiple people in the studio, so it's hard for me to uh, to remember how to do all of this stuff. And it's been a while since we've kicked things off on the radio at ten o'clock. Thank you for the Red Sox being earlier today. We get to go live at our usual spooky time instead of having to start off on YouTube as we've been doing. Actually, last week's show was completely YouTube only. It worked was. out pretty well. We didn't swear as much as I thought we would, but that's all right. There's always next time. Pretty well, uh, pretty smooth, I think. So if you are, we're getting the hang of it. If you're a fan of the show and you know you get upset because on a Saturday night the Red Sox are playing, we're starting the show right at ten o'clock on YouTube. Uh, just go to our YouTube channel there, uh, YouTube.com/user/SpookySouthCoast, or you can just go to SpookyTV.com. It will take you to the Spooky TV feed on YouTube, and you can join in the chat room, and you can talk to everybody there. You can watch the show. You can comment about it on social media using the hashtag SpookyLive. And you can call in 508-996-0500 or toll-free 877-996-1420. Matt Moniz is back in the studio. It's been a while. You, you've been uh, out doing conferences. Been out in the woods. Yeah, out doing conferences and stuff. Yeah, been having fun. Uh, I'm lining up a lot of good UFO speakers coming up for the next few months, uh, making contacts. and yeah. So two weeks ago you were at the Experiencers Speak Conference. How did that go? That was phenomenal. Um, one of the big things that happened there was we had a lot more people that have had experiences. This was like their first time, and they just, you know, were so thankful to be able to come out and share their experiences with other 
people that have gone through the same thing. And it's always heartwarming to see people, you know, make connections and have that feeling of acceptance. I mean, whether you believe it or not, having somebody at least accept what you're saying is helpful. You know, uh, and there were a lot of people that definitely were touched by, you know, that kind of outreach. And, and you've worked with people, uh, abductees, for a long time, and it's it's probably yeah. not a surprise that the first couple of years, you know, this conference comes onto the scene a couple of years ago. The Five years ago. This so, was the fifth. Yeah. So Starborn Support starts this up. And the idea being that this is where people who have had contact with UFOs and alien beings can come and talk with amongst each other and, and kind of, uh, you know, learn a little bit more about what it is that happened to them and also just, you know, have somebody to talk to. But, I mean, is it a surprise, though, that the first year you announce it, sure, there's probably some people who are like, I've been dying to have something like this, dying to go and talk to somebody about this, and they're going to come the first year. But there's probably a great amount of people that wanted to wait and see and kind of get a feel for what was going on and understand what was going on. So now in year five, you know, you're really starting to see the people turn out that want to come and share. And now that there's been enough time that has passed, there's been a reputation that's built up around this event to say, okay, this is, you know, quote, unquote, a safe place. Yes. Uh, the first couple of years... There was no real advertising, per se. And uh, third year, it started to pick up, but only a handful of people outside, uh, you know, the experiencers uh, group really, you know, knew about it. And then last year, it really took off, and this year was, you know, packed house. Well, I know that within the UFO community and, and within the field of study of ufology, there's a lot of people who have issue with experiencers and abductees. There's a lot of people who will say, listen, I, I have spent my life dedicated to researching these craft and whether or not beings from another planet are visiting us. I just can't believe people saying that they're getting beamed up aboard these ships and actually having contact with it. So you do have a lot of, you know, it's one of those weird things that even though we're all chasing after strange and unknown topics and we, we can't really say for sure that any of this stuff is real i mean we we all have our yeah our beliefs and what it is that's convinced us but nothing that's going to be the hard proof that convinces everybody however it seems like in the ufo world the abductees really have a a, a hard time even just getting other people who fully believe in the existence of these ships and fully exist uh, fully believe in the existence of these beings but they still have a hard time getting people to accept the fact that they've come in contact with them well you got to look at it this way people look, you know think of them as a taxi cab eventually they're going to be picking up pairs but was there anybody i mean obviously you know you want to be there you want to be supportive but yeah. you're also a pretty pragmatic person too and i'm sure that when you're there you can kind of tell when somebody is there because they they want to be there. They're there because they want to. They, they want to be involved. They want to be involved in something different, and unique, and special. And do you still get a lot of that, or does, does this community kind of filter that out on its own? We'll put it this way: there are the uh, what I will call the hardcore abductees, the people that have really gone through some harrowing experiences. It's been not necessarily a pleasant experience and this and that. And then there are people that have, are become more adjusted to it. And then there are people that have 
experiences that are in a um, for self help and growth type of you know the space brothers are here to help us. And There's people that just walk onto a field and call out and hope that they come and pick them up. Right, uh, but. With, with this experience to speak, it's open to everybody that has every type of experience. Some people, it's a um, it's a spiritual abduction or a psychic abduction. Some people, it's a quite physical thing. Um, not to say that any you know any one of them are are completely um, bunk, but because you, you can't really be one hundred percent sure, but. There are definitely some uh, real physical cases that we do know have occurred. Travis, I'll mm-hmm. give you a good example. I mean, his was personally witnessed by, you know, several other individuals. You know, it's not like this is my private experience. I happened in my room or whatever, and nobody else was there to verify it. They, Travis had five other people watch, you know, six other people actually watch what happened. And, and you're referring to Travis Walton, well, the yeah, fire in the sky yeah. case. And there have been... A number of other cases where you know you have witnesses and multiple people taken, and that that takes it out of the realm of the psychobabble stuff. Have you? I mean, I know you know we we saw you on Monsters and Mysteries in America talking yeah. about your experiences, but aside from personally what happened to you, and because and, you don't talk about it a lot on the show, so I'm going to go with the fact that you don't want to do so. so no, I, I'm not opposed to talking about it. it happened and it was witnessed so. have you been with somebody who and i know they spent a lot of time with the starborn twins who are frequent abductees have you been there in the room when somebody has been taken yes physically taken yes and so what what, what happens what what have you well, seen as part of that uh here's one one particular case where it actually happened to me and i was witnessed being taken actually witnessed being brought back and unfortunately, it was a uh, during a relationship that was very early on in its, um, you know, it was basically called its infancy. And the young lady had just moved in with me like a couple of months prior, hadn't gotten around to telling her about, you know, certain things that happened to me. And I wound up having an experience, and they woke her up bring, in the process of bringing me back and... She freaked out, which freaked out them when I got dropped, basically. Onto so, so you say them? Who, who are them? Whatever they are. Do I know that they're aliens from Zeta Reticuli? No, because they don't tend to answer my questions, and they're just doing what they're doing. Um, but phys- I mean, physically, are they? Physic- are they greys? They are, are they uh, reptilians? Are they? They are best way to describe it in, in the gray family, at least the ones I've been dealing with. Um, everybody has their own, I guess, view of what they look like. Mm-hmm. And now, is it their actual appearance or is it what they're projecting into your head? Right. You or know? is it what your mind, mind is, is absorbing is, it as in right. shock? Uh, that's why I'm saying I, I know it's not something in my head when I'm, when I've got somebody else witnessing the same thing. Um, but what wound up happening is they accidentally woke her up or what have you, and she literally stood up on the bed and started screaming, which distracted them from what they were doing with me. They freaked out about her standing up and freaking out. And next thing I know, I'm bouncing off the bed, hitting the floor, and looking up at her standing on the bed screaming, them 
streaking out and going out through the wall and windows and just passing through the wall. Yeah. So for you then, at least in your experience, it wasn't like a, you know, like a tractor beam shooting down and pulling you up. This was, you were ferried by actual beings. Yeah. And the uh, best way to describe it is a levitated state. Uh, because that's what I recall was at that particular point was gr- my girlfriend screaming because that's what jolted me out of whatever thing they were doing. I realized I was about a foot and a half above the bed, and all of a sudden gravity took over, and I hit the bed. And of course, you know, beds have springs. I bounced off the edge of that, and next thing I know, I'm face first on the floor, rolled over, and she's still on the bed running in place screaming, and these little things are booking out through the wall. And one of them peeked in around corner because there was a window there stuck its head in the window area looking at her just before you know they went off and the light faded outside the room and they took off and she just stood there screaming 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 and it took me about 15 minutes to basically pull her off the ceiling type of thing i mean she was Uncontrollable. And what's what's the conversation after that? Uh, that yeah, it went on until about six o'clock in the morning. Me trying to explain what was going on that she wasn't part of what they were looking for. And at about six o'clock in the morning, I finally had to call Bud Hopkins, and it's like, uh, can you please talk to her and let her know that you know this actually does happen and that you know about this and have been documenting this about me and my experiences and stuff like that and she did she talked to him and all she kept saying to me afterwards this stuff is real this stuff is real i saw it with my own two and she she couldn't handle it three days later she packed up and gone has there been anybody who has been in your life? And I know that you know you've you've encountered uh, numerous abductees and experiences over your years of research, and a lot of them have become close friends of yours. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of them were close friends of yours. I'm sure that you found out later yeah. were abductees. But <laughs> has there been anybody that you've been in a, a very close relationship with? And it can be you know romantic, it can be family, anything like that. But anybody that was also sucked into this as part of your experiences that's how i met my first wife was but it wasn't her own separate experience it was that no, that would be her no, separate experience that and you coming together were, you were engineered together we were we were brought together as teenagers uh early, i i was picked up where i lived in uh down the cape and she was picked up i believe she was living in swansea at that particular time at her her at the age that we were initially introduced. And then the uh, next thing I know, we were put into uh, a room. best way to describe the room is uh, circular, roughly circular or more oval-shaped and a dome type of ceiling, dimly lit. And a um, the room, best way to describe it is an amphitheater, uh, but it was made up of boxes, starting with small boxes in the middle and piling up in an arc to the edge of the roof. And I was brought in first, and I was standing in the room. 
I'm wondering what the heck am I doing here? Why is this happening? So this is your first? No, it's not my first experience, but, you know. I'm but like, the first time you've been put into this location? This particular location was like, what the hell is this? And best way I can interpret it is, like, I gathered it was some sort of theater, you mm-hmm. know, that I didn't realize I was the one that was on stage. But then that's what they did is on the opposite end of the oblong room, she walks in from the other entrance. And I'm like, hey, she's human. <laughs> so it was the I, first time you'd seen another human? No. Okay. no but but it, I'm in a room I'm, that I'm not familiar with, that I've not been in before, and was like, hey, there's a... There's another human. What? Maybe she knows what's going on. What are we supposed to be doing? Went up, started talking to her. Um, she was my age, pretty good looking. So you know, it's like I was a teenager. She was a teenager. Well, I was going to say, know. granted, you know, the the circumstances being what they are, obviously, yeah. you know, it's not always your first thought. But was there an attraction right away? Yeah, there was, and. We were talking about school. We were talking about music. Music was one of the bigger things. And then the the door opened up on the other end where she came from. They went and retrieved her, retrieved me, and got put back. And I remember, wow, that was a crazy experience. And then probably about five to seven years later, I'm sitting in a planetarium at Bristol Community College on April Fool's Day at a a Staten Friedman lecture, <laughs> I look across the planetarium and I was like, here we are back in, you know, full circle, because that's kind of similar to what that room reminded me of. Yeah. And I see her on the other side, and I'm like, and she sees me, because, you know, the projector was uh, was in the way. Yeah, yeah, and, in the middle and, of the room. And I got up to move around, and I looked, and I saw her. She saw me, and we immediately just... Got up, got together, and started talking. And and both had full recollection of we how had, you met previously. We had recollections like, that was you that day. And it's like, yeah. And we, a few months after that, we moved in. A few years after that, we got married. And, but then purely human things caused, you know, divorce, you know. So when that happens, uh, when when you're in a situation where... You're with somebody who had that same experience as you, who you met through that, through those means. Is this something that you discuss during the course of the relationship, or is it something that you never bring up again? No, we we discussed it, and as a matter of fact, that's one of the things that Bud had a very keen interest in our particular case, because he had found several other couples that have gone through the same thing. And that's what sparked my interest in it is I focus specifically on multiple abductions. In other words, what I call that is people that are, have other people involved in their abductions. Because when you have two people recognizing the same event, Mm -hmm. it takes it out of the realm of, you know, anything psychological. Because two people don't share the same hallucination. Right. And we're not saying that when we're saying it's psychological, we're not saying somebody's making something up or that they're illness, they have an illness. It just could be that that, you know, there's a variety of different factors. Abuse cover up, uh, you know, other more traumatic experiences that kind of disguise themselves as this. So it's not like we're, 
you know, just just to be clear, we're not saying that people are are making it up, and it's not like this is you're like, well, if there's two people, then it has to be true. It's just it's easier to verify yeah, it when it's there's easier two to validate because somebody else saw knows the same things. It's harder to validate a single experience because that person is the only one that's experienced that mm-hmm. particular event. Um, but contrary to what people believe or have been told, abductions are actually fairly common. They're not rare. They happen regularly to a lot of people. Uh, one study puts it about one in every hundred. And is that... And that, What's the word I'm kind of looking for? Is it masked? Do they not realize that it's happening to them? Yes, a lot of people don't. They misinterpret or they get screen what's called screen memories or it's a dream or yeah they're, they're very weird realistic dream and stuff like that but contrary to so like i said what people think they a lot of times they are also witnessed by other people sometimes a person i i've talked to a number of different uh, spouses of abductees, like what happened to me with the girlfriend there, they know and have seen their loved ones being taken. And l- let me help dispel another myth. Close to 65%, if not more, 65% of, du- of abductions happen during broad daylight. You know, the, you got the cliche in the middle of the night in the bed and taking it you know that does happen yeah sure but but it it also happens more times actually while people are driving it, i mean it's a scarier story for somebody writing right. community, uh, you know or or making you know movies yeah and, close and, encounters and, yeah it's, it, it's, it, it's, yeah it sells that but yes those events do happen but they're they're on the more rare side than the daylight accounts. A lot of people, like I said, are taken while they're driving out in their backyard or sitting down having lunch than taken so, from their bed. When So when you were married and and you were both abductees, you were both having that experience, was there also abdu- abductions that happened during the marriage? Yes. And would it be both of you at once or, some, or would it be just one of you? or It, it, it could be any combination thereof. And in one particular case, we were both taken when we were staying in separate houses. I was uh, staying uh, down over my parents' house one day uh, to help them out with something, and she was back at home, and they picked her up and then picked me up and then brought us back separately. And I called her in the morning, and she's like, yeah, well, that was an interesting event. Yeah, it was. If you had a ballpark, how many times would you say that you think you've been taken? Ballpark. Uh, I'd say uh, it's hard to put in numbers because some of them are very clear. Some of them I'm not entirely sure about, and there are probably some events that I have no recollection. Right, like you just don't remember. Yeah. So, but I mean, if, if so, if it is, if it's I happening, could, I, I could say. A couple dozen that I know are not dreams. I was fully conscious, awake, and aware, and had witnesses with me. So they must be aware, and I use they, but to describe whoever it is that's abducting you, they must be aware of what you do for a living. They must be aware of the path that you've chosen with your life and what you pursue as your interests. Why is there not a reason given? Why is there not an explanation given? Why do they not consider 
you, well, worthy of knowing? I went through a number of different mindsets when dealing with them. Uh, first, you know, disbelief and anger and, and this and that. And then it gets, and it got to a point where I just look at it as, you know, when they happen as unscheduled dentist appointments. Not something, you know, you're, you're happy about something you know that's got, going to happen and be done and you'll be happy when it's over and you move on and go on with the rest of your life. It's, See, you're a very go-with-the-flow kind of person anyway, though. Like, you kind of take what punches are thrown your way, and you roll with it, and you adapt, and you adjust. I'm somebody that has to kind of have complete control over every minute of my life. And I'm not really one who can give it up to chance or give it up to fate. And Does that play a part? Are there people like me who oh, get abducted? Yeah. yeah. And uh, unfortunately, they're the ones that usually wind up. And hard straits. Breaking down as a result of yes. it. Yes. And I've, I've known several people that have decided that I'm not going to deal with this anymore and decide to leave, if you know what I'm referring to. Yep. I, I get what you're saying. So there's no chance, no possibility, that, and I'm not questioning your experiences. Sure. But this is an actual, you are fully, firmly convinced that this is an actual physical event that happened to you. Yes. Physical events leave physical marks. Okay, and <laughs> so uh, and, and I'm, I'm all I'm doing here is just kind of questioning well, and, and learning and and uh, so when you meet some of these other folks at something like the Experience or Speak Convention, you know that some of the people might have a different experience. It might not be something physical. People probably come up to you and say, "I never left my bed, but I know that I was taken." Right. So these this is also right. another type of an abduction that yes. can happen. And. Uh, those people, some of them have hard times with it too. But most most of those particular cases, it's more of an, uh, an what they call an astral abduction, where they're taking them and looking to basically help evolve their souls and uh, uh, things of that nature. Um, I find those cases interesting. I, I don't share their t- particular type of case, but I, I I can't say that it doesn't happen to them because nobody believes what happens to me. And, you know, half the time I don't believe what happened to me and I was there. But, you know, it's but it, it's hard. It's hard to say somebody didn't have that experience. I almost wonder, though, if it's not the same experience, if it's not one and the same. And it's really just in how you need to. Because you're, you know, you being uh, a scientist, you being somebody who works in hard science, you know, you need physical proof for it to happen. Somebody who might be a little bit more new agey in their mindset, might be a little bit more spiritual in the way that they think, they might not need that physical. So maybe it's the same thing that's happening to you. And They're it's just, just tailoring it to that person, exactly. what that it's, person it's, can believe. Yeah, that's why I'm saying I, I'm not going to say that they're not having that experience that and I think it's just the lens that they see their experience through. Um, but like I said, I tend to focus on the other cases. I give the more metaphysical type of abductions to the other coworkers that I deal with. Um, like I said, I focus on specific type. I mean, obviously not every experience for every person is going to be the same. Not every experience that a person has is going to be the same. Uh, what would, I mean, is, is there any kind of, um, 
pattern to what's happened to you with 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 your abductions, where you know you kind of know what to expect. You know, you, like, is there ever something that goes on? You're like, hey, wait, when are we going to do this part? We haven't done that part yet. Or I know when this happens, it's almost over, and it'll be time to right. go home. Um, there, I wouldn't say cookie cutter, um, but I know that they're going to at least be doing, you know, certain things. There's going to be. Um, some sort of exam. You know, everybody, you know, has heard that they, they do uh, genetic testing. And, with the, and contrary to popular belief, there isn't, you know, the old anal probe every time, you, you know, that may happen once. Or, you know, collecting of sperm and ova. Uh, that doesn't necessarily happen every time either. You know, it it all depends upon what's needed at that particular time. I might be a little disappointed if that didn't happen every time. Well, hey. Depending on how it's collected. Hey, hey. Uh, usually it's not collected in a manner in which you it's would not, like. It's not a pleasurable it, experience, is what yes. you're saying. Okay. Um, but they, there is at least some sort of genetic thing taken. Usually it's um, uh, taken by skin. Uh, there's usually... Um, Best way to describe it is the type of hypodermic that removes a small amount of skin from your arm or from your leg or wherever they're grabbing it from. Uh, they usually check, you know, eyes, nose, and throat, the whole head area type of thing. And usually after that, there's some sort of mental acuity test that they do, either by putting you in front of something and something being shown to you or a combination with sounds and whatever whatever they're doing, they're testing this and that. And sometimes they'll interact with you trying to impart some kind of information or extract some information from you. How? Is it, a, is it an actual... Um Physical questioning is it something that you that just pops into your head? It's it's hard to describe. You know what's you know what the question is. You know what's being. And asked. how are, how are you answering? Are you speaking out loud, or at least do you feel like you are? I mean, I, I, sometimes uh, I will physically make a vocalization. Sometimes it's just like thought of a feeling. You know, depending upon because you know I've had dreams where. Uh, in the dream, I've known that I was communicating with somebody without speaking. Yeah. That because, and then there's other times when I I know in a dream that my mouth was actually moving. So, you know, I'm I'm sure it's kind of the same type of thing yeah. where you're you're aware sometimes of whether or not you are actually physically vocalizing something. Has there been in all of you know you know in, in all of this that's been going on? Has there been any kind of resistance on your part, or have you always oh, yeah. kind of just done oh, yeah. and I to clarify things, I don't remember all of my uh, experiences, but I do. They don't always just wipe them out. You know, you do have full conscious recollection. It's not, you know, that type of thing where you know there's no recollection. Yeah, you know, there's there's no neuralizer that yeah, it's like. the, your own brain could be doing that for you. When you get to a certain point with them, it's the, they know and you know. So what's what's the bother of you know just except for certain parts that they're doing, they'll 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 block have, out. But have they ever answered the question why you? Why me? And I've asked it 
Pretty much every time. And I've, I've got no answer. The only answer that I ever really got, you know, other than, you know, simply yes or no for certain certain things, was when I was younger and I, I didn't know how to deal with it. So I, I took the attitude of, you know, you're not real. You don't, you're not there. This isn't really happening. And I remember looking at one and saying, you you don't exist. And basically the gist of what I got back from the look and is like the response was, it doesn't matter if you believe we exist. What matters is we believe you exist. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know how to handle that at that particular point because that wasn't what I was expecting for a reply. That's when I realized, you know, this is beyond me. And this is definitely beyond me. I mean, let's not not to not to give away too many, you know, personal secrets. But we've made jokes about it in the past. Oh yeah, and we've talked about it in the past. You know, you're somebody who has enjoyed uh, altered states from time to time. Uh, I've I've been vibed of you know a bottle or two, and you know, and sometimes you've even. Other things. You've even. I grew up in the 80s. Hello. And, and you work in the pharmaceutical industry, and sometimes they need somebody to test something out. Yeah. You know, you're always willing to raise your hand. You know, you're the person that had no problem walking into Willy Wonka's chocolate factory and grabbing everything that was coming off the assembly line. Even when he's like, no, snozberries stop. taste like snozberries. You wouldn't say that if you knew what a snozberry was. <laughs> but so when, you know, when this has happened, has, has there ever been um, any experiences that happened in that altered state? Or do they leave you alone at that time and and say, you know, this is not the time that we would... This is, we're not going to get the results that we're looking for if this is the way that you're going to be right now. Me personally? No. Not in those particular states, but I know of other people that it has happened to. Because I'm just wondering if that becomes somebody's defense mechanism against having these things happen where, you know, we say, well, you know, their life fell apart, they turned to drugs. Well, did yeah. they turn to drugs because it, it kept them away? That is one of the things that a lot of abductees do share is a, um, a high alcoholism and uh, drug drug abuse rate. And I know a lot of people, well, there's your answer. That's what's happening. It's like, no, the, the, the condition existed before they started delving into it and they were using it as a coping mechanism, just like a lot of alcoholics and addicts sure. do. Yeah. Uh, so really, there's no way to, to insulate yourself from it happening if it happens. Does it ever happen to anybody just once? Just once? Right. Now, chances are, if you're abducted, you're going to it throughout a lifetime. Uh, I guess it would happen once if they took you in, you know, for some unforeseen circumstance, you wind up getting taken out, you know, but uh, usually it's more than just once. The people that you deal with at something like Experiencer Speak and the people that you talk to over the course of your years of research, is the general feeling that they have that... It's unfortunate that they've been selected for this, or is the general feeling more that they feel special and and they feel lucky that they've been the ones that have been selected? I guess it depends upon the individual. Everybody likes to likes the idea of feeling special, mm-hmm. but in my own particular case, um, like I said, this is something that they've decided to do. I was not 
part or parcel to the decision-making process. And this is, like I said, to me, it's an unscheduled dentist appointment that happens that I have no control over. Did they have they ever expressed to you that they feel like you know that you should consider yourself special? Do they ever, you know, re- reference that that you know? Not that I personally gotten from it. It's just you know. Come here, do this. Go over here, do that. I need this. Give me that. You know that, that it's whatever is their agenda. I am neither special or insignificant. I'm just something that's there for the you know Cause whatever I'm, reason they got. I'm starting to think, to some degree, in the you know the the world of the paranormal. That some of us are started down a certain path and have certain things happen to us, not because we need them to happen to us, but because it's almost like it has to happen to us so that we can be there for others. So that maybe, you know, this has happened to you to mold you into somebody who can help others through the experience and can be somebody who researches well, this. And, and That's what I do with uh, Starborn. Yeah, uh, I mean... Back when this really started happening, there was not people like um, Debbie and Audrey and Starborn and uh, uh, a number of these other organizations. Uh, back then, it was you pretty would, much Bud, and that was it, right? Yeah, Bud and maybe uh, Dave Jacobs, and and stuff even like then, that. they didn't start until what the the late seventies, early eighties, right? Uh, mid eighties, okay. mid eighties, early nineties. And that's when I really started, you know, trying to figure out what the hell is going on. And because before that, all you had was uh, suck it up, cupcake. Yeah, sure. Okay. Mm -hmm. And you're left with, okay, I can't tell anybody any of this because nobody understands it. And they just file it in, you know, active imagination. This. I mean, if you're Betty and Barney Hill, you've got 20 years before you have a sympathetic ear. Right. And like... uh, most of my experiences, like I said, have, I've not been alone. So, um, I, I when other people are there watching and witnessing, you know, it's no longer my imagination. You, you got what I'm saying? And it's no longer really just your experience either. Yeah. I mean, even though they weren't the ones that were taken, they right. still now have their eyes opened to something that they might not have thought about or, or, or wanted to have happen before. Is there anybody who that you've encountered in your life that has found this out about you? Is there anybody that has um, looked at this and said, well, this is your normal? So, I mean, has anybody not been put off by it? I mean, obviously other people who have the same experiences uh, have no issue with it because they've gone through it themselves. But just somebody that you've told about this in your life, has there anybody ever been like, all right, and, and not had to go through any kind of revelatory thing in their own life to be able to accept it. You know what I mean? Has anybody ever been yeah. able to just take it at face uh, value? Yeah. And uh, surprisingly enough, those type of people are people that have had to deal with some sort of physical tragedy in their lives or some some sort of, you know, uh, a, to put it bluntly, a, a, a lot of people that have been through uh, rape. Can, can uh, that have been very understanding? Is like somebody that was like, this happened to me, but nobody wants to believe it. 
type of thing. Right. And, they, you know, they're, they're usually the first ones that can understand, and I don't want to use the term appreciate, but you understand what I'm saying, that, that, that can sympathize, understand and sympathize with you. Well, we're going to continue on with the show uh, coming up in a couple of minutes. Uh, we'll take a break for the news. We'll be back. I don't know. We have to take a news break, Matt. We haven't had to do that in a while. Uh, so we're going to take a news break. We'll come back on the other side. We'll discuss some more paranormal topics. And everything is on the table tonight. 508-996-0500-877-996-1420. We can talk about whatever it is that you'd like to discuss. But, you know, Moniz is talking about his experiences that's happened with him with UFO abductions because, of course, he was at the Experiencer Speak uh event a couple of weeks ago and it's important to note that we want people to understand people that are listening to this that might have had their own experience and need to share it and and want to have a sympathetic ear to listen to it it's important to note that although this conference happens once a year starborn support is an organization that's available at any time for anybody 24 hours seven seven days a week 365 days a year and you know we've we've talked with debbie and audrey and they've talked about answering the phone at two o'clock in the morning because somebody just had an experience and they need somebody just to listen for a few minutes so and uh, a lot of times we like i said wind up listening we spend more time caring for the loved ones of the experiencer because usually experiencers they understand it and they they, uh, they're strong people their loved ones that aren't going through it are the ones that need more support and and it's important to know that it's, it's called starborn support not because this isn't a bunch of ufo research i mean there there's a lot of ufo yeah. researchers that are involved but they're not looking to have you share your experience so that they can document what happened to you and try and solve the grand puzzle of what's going on they want to be there for you so that they can lend that support for you so that they right. can help you through it and and adjust to it because i mean I've, I've probably never talked to any abductees that are as okay with it as audrey and debbie are yeah. you know they've just come to accept it and and almost like they miss it when it doesn't happen so if they can kind of help you get into that same type of mindset, it'll make it easier for you. Uh, just there's, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that just want somebody to listen, uh, that just want to be able to share their story and just want to know that it's happening to other people in the same way. It's, it's also why I like ghost hunting and helping out, you know, people that are dealing with a haunting because it's the same thing. It's something that's coming in to your life that is beyond your regular and norm. And it's something that people may not immediately understand, and you're registered about sharing it. And yeah, I understand. I mean, that's kind of what this show has always been for the last 10 plus years is, you know, I don't want to say we're a support group for people who are going through this, but we're trying to, you know, our goal right from the beginning was to try and make paranormal topics a little normal, at least for, you know, a couple of hours on a Saturday night, kind of breaking this down and talking about it. Like regular rational people, and we're not coming on here and trying to, you know, sell you on the idea that, you know, you have to believe everything that you hear on this show. But we just want to have the discussion because the discussion is the only way that we can find out more and we can learn more. And it was really just all this, the reason this show exists is because we wanted to learn more and we just use this as a vehicle to find out more and we bring you the audience along for the ride. It's worked out so far. I've learned a hell of a lot over the last 10 plus years. Most of it, you know, stuff that uh, I, I never would have even considered 
had we not started having these discussions. So that's what this show is for, and that's what a night like tonight is for. So we can explore some of these topics more in depth, and we can do so with you. Again, you can call in 508-996-0500-877-996-1420. Maybe you want to actually get out and experience something paranormal for yourself. You want to go out and try and see if you can put yourself in position to have this happen. Uh, Legend Trips has an event uh, next Saturday night, right? Next Saturday night. What's today, the 10th? Yes, next Saturday night at the Houghton Mansion in North Adams. Uh, there are still some tickets available for that, I believe, if you go to legendtrips.com. And you can also, if you choose to, purchase the sleepover uh, option as well. So not only do you get to go to the event and actual take part, actually take part in paranormal investigation, but then you can spend the night, and when you get up in the morning, Jeff Belanger and Dustin Parry will make breakfast for you. So I can't guarantee that that won't be a paranormal experience unto itself. I have never sampled uh, Dustin's cooking, but I have had Jeff's chili dogs made with Skyline Chili, and they were fantastic. So Skyline Chili. If that just gives you any kind of an idea of how good breakfast can be, it's definitely worth the overnight option. Just go to legendtrips.com if you want to find out more about that and try and grab up some of those tickets before they're gone. They actually might even be gone by the time you hear this, so act quickly. And also, we may be working on putting a little something together here on a place that was just on TV, but I can't talk any more about that just yet. However, we will talk more about the paranormal coming up in just a bit with more Spooky South Coast here on WBSM. with you along with the silent assassin Matt Costa and science advisor Matt Moniz. We are broadcasting live on WBSM as well as on our YouTube channel with Spooky TV and broadcasting on Facebook Live as well. Is is that what you're doing there, Matt? Is that the Facebook Live? Uh, Uh, No. Okay. No, we're We're not on Facebook Live today. We're not on Facebook Live today. No, we did a little teaser. I I, I was saying because I got notification on my phone. Uh, We did a little teaser on Facebook Live and um, Periscope and uh, Instagram Stories. So the idea behind that is that we're trying to draw you in to the YouTube video. Right. right. So we don't, you know, we 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 don't want to keep things going all over the place. It's hard to follow that conversation because right. we can't be everywhere, but Right. But by filtering it into YouTube and, you know, you have access to the chat room and you can call in. Right. It's a good and, time in there. Yeah. Yeah. So and speaking of the chat room, uh I will I will mention this uh, we were talking about it off the air. Uh but it came up in the chat room that somebody took umbrage with the fact that you know, they felt like you were comparing Matt Moniz, the experience of uh, UFO abduction with those who have been raped. And it's important to point out, just for clarification purposes, you weren't equating the two. You were saying that the abductee community gets sympathy from people who have been through that experience. Correct. Correct. So what you were basically saying is that those are the people who are kind of offering that ear for the abductees to be able to share their experiences with. Correct. You weren't equating the two at all. Although, if you are having the physical experience as you were describing... Well, any time you have an unauthorized use of your body, what do you call it? Right. And uh, so, I mean, but you're not saying that every experience that people have is equivalent to that. No. And the one of the other issues that was taken up in the chat room is that, you know, 
we know that rapes happen. We don't know that UFO abductions happen. I think that people such as yourself who have been abducted would argue that point. Well, you got to also remember a lot of these things are also witnessed. Okay, you know, I mean, same thing with you know ghosts or things that people find hard to believe, like Bigfoot. You know, and not to totally. Uh, just change gears from what you were saying, but I have to ask this. Matt, did I forget to put the wide truck camera back when I came back in? That's fine. I'll fix it. Okay. Because I just saw that it was sitting over there, and I was like, that was me. That's all on me. I was the one that, that made it so that you had to move that camera. Uh, so, and, and we were also talking during the break, Matt, that you actually uh, have gotten on board the Stranger Things train. I have. Yep. Uh, did you finish it. it all? or I did. I did. I I'm watched a few episodes time. of that this last you, week. Yeah. That's a screwy, screwy series. You watched a few episodes, but you're planning on finishing it, right? You just haven't uh, had the I chance may, yet. I got to get a um, Hulu account or Netflix, what, Netflix whatever. Yeah. So, but um, I mean, certainly for people like us, it's it's a great show because we all grew up with the the shows and the movies that it's referencing, and we all kind of understand. Uh, and if, yeah, I'm very happy that they announced that there'll be season two. Right. Right. I love the fact that the the kids are becoming like recognized stars, because it's it's nice when you have like kids who really seem genuine, like they're really genuinely enjoying the job and having fun. Like I'm not too worried about these kids becoming like child actor horror stories. They all seem pretty well well grounded. Yeah, they they did they all did a very very good job. And I think one of my um, one of the things that I'm most looking forward to is. It's almost like with season two, which they're looking at more as a sequel than a continuation, but I think that they kind of have the ability and the right and kind of the expectation to be able to get as weird as they want because it's been so well received. Nobody was ever like, oh, gee, you know, like, uh, if it was just a little bit more believable or, you know, if this didn't happen, if that, people are kind of generally like, it's just fun. We right. don't have to break it right. down and analyze it all. It's just something fun to watch during the summer. Did you check out the get down yet? I saw a little bit of it, and then I was like, I need to be more awake to to watch. Yeah, this yeah, but it's good. Yeah, it I mean, good. it's it's, yeah. it's certainly uh, it's certainly very visually appealing. Right. Um, One thing I liked about uh, Stranger Things is the I wasn't disappointed at the uh, the monster. Like sometimes with these things that are like either either made for TV or like I guess in this case Netflix exclusive. Are you saying they didn't Cloverfield it? <laughs> I, I made that point, and uh, we, we had a guest a few weeks ago that examines uh, paranormal fiction and horror fiction, and then I made that point, and right. she got really mad at me. She's like, I really enjoyed Cloverfield. I, I, thought I didn't hate great. Cloverfield, but yeah, I was thinking more of uh, Langoliers. Ah, uh, yeah. Which was... I'll, yeah. I'll say this. I was really I th- disappointed. That. I, think, <laughs> I think to some degree, uh, Guillermo del Toro has change the way that we can present monsters because i think the creatures that are in his films are so i haven't seen crimson peak yet but the creatures that are in his films are so well done that they've Mm -hmm. kind of raised the bar like that that creature from pan's labyrinth the one with the The, the eyes on his hands like that's that's forever going to change like creepiness for people you can't just get away with a rubber mask anymore did you see mama uh, I can't remember if I did or I didn't. A lot of I the did. horror I think movies, I liked it. kind of. Yeah, it, it, Mama was another one of those uh, flicks where it was more 
about the story that was going on than so much the creature or the in this right. particular case dropped, the ghost. They dropped the ball a little bit on the ending. The ending. The right. ending was the only thing that's like that's every horror movie. A horror movie no, these the, days could not find this, an ending. This thing had a great It's true though. It, it was a great movie and then they got to that ending and then it just dropped. It was like What is it about the ending? Is it just they have such a good idea but it doesn't fully flesh out. I mean but think of all the horror movies. I mean, I'll give you a list. I'll stop my head. It, it is hard to make an ending, though. I mean, I guess you could say that for any movie, really. But for some reason with horror, they especially drop the ball. All right. Listen, I, I have no problem critiquing people that are even friends of ours. We've had the writers of uh, The Possession on the show. Uh, we've had them on multiple times. And uh, and Juliet and Styles, I think they're great. I think they do great work. But the possession dropped the ball at the ending. It was a really, really great movie until the end of the film. Uh, I thought, I actually thought that the both Conjuring movies were strong horror movies that just had lackluster endings. Uh, the Babadook, which had a lot of, you know, a lot of uh, praise online and and people were talking about it being like the first great horror movie in a while. I really liked it, but I thought the ending sucked. It just seems to be the way where you can't tie in a film, uh, you can't tie up a horror film with a with a good, satisfying ending, and I, I don't know what that problem is. Do we it's, just have such high expectations now? Cause I we, have cause a little bit of seen a, it, every, we've seen it all. I have a basically. little bit of a theory about it, and I mentioned this a little bit uh, with Doctor Pulliam a few weeks ago, but I think that M Night Shyamalan has kind of ruined it with the surprise ending, where everybody thinks there has to be some sort of surprise twist at the end of a horror movie. Mm. And so when you don't have one, you know, it kind of leaves you with, with nowhere to go. I think that's part of it. I also think the other part of it is, with a horror movie, you never know if it's going to turn into a franchise. So you always have to kind of leave the ending kind of unsatisfying because you never know where it's going to get picked up and carried on. Some movies, though, you look at them and you say, well, that's a standalone. How are you going to continue that? Well, then how do you explain successes like Halloween? In terms of having a satisfying ending? Yeah. Well, I think that was a different time period, too, where I think people weren't trying to out-cutesy themselves with the endings of films. They weren't trying to be too cute. They weren't trying to outdo each other. You know, I think there was a matter of you told the story and you found a way to wrap up that story. And because you were dealing with something that was... I think the supernatural then, the supernatural element lent itself to a lot more uh, freedom to... Like, you could have Jason die at the end of every movie and still resurrect him in the next one, and it made sense. Well, that's because it was tied into the very first one, the very first Friday the 13th, that gave you that opening. And I think they kind of borrowed that from the Halloween. Halloween, you have to admit, was the real horror movie that opened up those the door for those type of the movies. slasher flick yeah well i mean probably texas chainsaw it's massacre, massacre but, but yeah you you have the ability with Ma- that texas chainsaw massacre was actually based on a real event that right, but, most people but, uh, highly hollywoodized but the event was really did happen but the the idea behind these endings i think was a matter of you send the audience home happy and then, you know, it's like, remember that show Get a Life with Chris Elliott? Oh, yeah. That was on Fox in the 90s. At the end of every episode, toward like the end of the run, he died. Like, he would die all the time, and they would just start the next episode as if nothing ever happened. That was a great show. <laughs> it, really, it, was. it really was. It was so ahead of its time. Uh, but if, if that was on now, 
Uh, the, you know what was another good show, too, by the way, that I thought should have had more of a chance? The winner. That guy, Rob Corddry, is, is really funny. Hmm. I don't know if I saw it. It was very much in the same vein as Get a Life. But anyway, uh, the, you know, but it's kind of that approach of, you know, the same thing with Kenny on South Park. Have him die, but it's okay, because the next episode we're just going to pretend like nothing ever happened. And I think that moviegoers now, uh, they expect a little bit more of a reason why that happens. I, th- I really think one of the last horror movies that had a, a, a good ending, and people might debate me on this, was The Blair Witch Project. I thought that was a pretty good ending. You go down into the basement of the house and the yep. kid's standing in the corner. That, that one was a good ending, but not a good movie. Yeah. <laughs> but it, but it, it, it did the job. And, and to me, as far as I'm concerned, that was the only moment that kind of shuddered down my spine in that film. And now they have another one coming out, which I don't know how... Now, we'll go. the part that's really crazy is there is uh, a little bit of um, historical record to Blair Witch. Now, there was something like it that happened um, before the movie was made, like several years before that. I think what they did is they took something from that case and made a movie, movie around it. But um, like, kind of like what they did with... Um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. But, yeah, the slasher movies, that that's a product of the 80s, well, at least in my opinion. It, it is, but, I mean, also, I mean, there's, uh, I've, I've read books about it. I've heard other discussions about it, other podcasts, other shows, talked about it with other people. Uh, our, our friend Bill Gothier does a great job of breaking down the, the Nightmare on Elm Street series and, and how that plays out. But... It was, it was kind of, those movies were kind of a product of the times and of what people were willing to, uh, kind of suspend belief for in order to go to the movies. We, we lived at a time then when we didn't need gritty realism in our horror films. We didn't need slow psychological burns like we do now and like existed for, to some degree in the seventies. You know, it was fine to just have a very visceral, it was a very, it was a very much a, a, a visual decade. So we had no problem with walking into a movie theater and seeing a bunch of blood and guts on the screen. And then it becomes the idea of, well, now you have to outdo what you did in the right. last one. Right. And it got to the point where it became... See, there's some great writing uh, on the history of Freddy Krueger as a boogeyman and the fact that you have a guy that in the first movie... You legitimately should have been terrified of, and a lot of people were. And then he became hokey. The second movie was, you know, we can't blame Wes Craven for that because he wasn't involved, and they they decided they wanted to kind of milk this horse as long as they could. Wait, milk this cow, and milk a horse. It's, yeah. Don't drink that milk. So they <laughs> they you know they they wanted to see how far they could push that. But then it became to the point where they're they're seeing by the time you get to you know Dream Warriors, people are cheering for Freddy. And it didn't help that by the time you got to four, you know, the kids are so insufferable that you want them to die. So people are cheering for Freddy. He becomes kind of an anti-hero, and that means that you now have the license to create even more blood and guts because people want to see these characters get killed in the most gruesome way possible. So you've gone so far over the edge with that that you you, you really can't push you that anymore. The shark. And there's some... Slasher films that have come out in the last couple of years that, you know, people have still, the Saw series, you could probably 
put into that category, uh, even though I haven't seen them all. Uh, I didn't like the first one, so I didn't keep going with it. Um, what are some of the other ones that have come out? You know, Hostile. Yeah, and Eli Roth's done a great job with some of these. Uh, they have, um, there was the remake of The Evil Dead, yep. which was kind of in this vein. Uh, you know, Cabin in the Woods, these type of movies are adding those elements back into it. So, Ah, Phantasm. They're, I heard they're making another one. You know, they. I just found out today, by the way, I wrote this story in Tomorrow's Standard Times. It's up online now. I tweeted it out, where I compared the New England Patriots to some primetime TV shows. Just a little fun thing to, to have something different for a season preview. But as I'm looking at all the, the TV shows that are coming out, we know that they're making a Lethal Weapon TV show. That's yep. been all over the place. We know that they have an Exorcist TV series coming out starring Wareham's own Gina Davis as the mom, which is cool. I don't know how good the show will be, but at least it's cool. I didn't realize until today, there's a MacGyver show coming out. They, like, rebooted MacGyver. Who they have as MacGyver? Some kid. I don't know. It's like young MacGyver. But no MacGruber? No MacGruber. Maybe MacGruber could make a uh, a cameo appearance. But, I mean, that's that's what we've gone to now. Like the young MacGyver Chronicles. So, yeah. Anyway. It could go the, the way of uh, Young Indiana Jones. Which was a great show, from what I remember. Yeah. You know what else I thought was a great show? And they recently added it to stars, and I'm not so the much... The greatest American hero? No, that will always be good, I think. At least in my mind. The Young Riders. Did you ever watch that? It was about the Pony Express. No, I'm not sure. It didn't seem to hold up as well as I remember it being. Hmm. But, you know, it's like uh, Josh Brolin, um, one of the Baldwins. Hmm. What was that cowboy show that was on um, Fox? Briscoe County Jr.? Yes. Yeah, yeah no, that's... That had, that had some... Uh, Briscoe some... County Jr., we will always have to speak about in reverential tones. Right. That's a paranormal theme to it. It did. Oh, yeah. They, yeah. They, they made it into a real sci-fi show. Uh, the best part about Bristol County Jr., for those who... Was on just before Sliders. And <laughs> yep. the theme song of Briscoe County Jr. went on to become NBC's music for the Olympics in 96. So, you know, that's that's pretty good territory right there to say, hey, you know, your theme song was worthy of being the Olympic song. Mm-hmm. I just wonder what Bruce Campbell thought about that. Now, didn't they also start doing an Evil Dead uh, series it or something? It is awesome. It's really, yeah, it's really good. Ash versus Evil Dead. The first season aired last year. Second season comes out next month. It's awesome. It's definitely a continuation of the Evil Dead. What uh, channel? It's on Stars. So it's okay, it's on. So it's a movie channel. Right. Yeah, it's on one of the pay channels. Uh, but you know, if you look through legal means online, you can find it. Uh, but uh, and I'm sure they'll add it because they put those star shows on on Hulu or Netflix or one of them. I'm sure it'll be added right. eventually. Oh, yeah. Okay. But uh, yeah, you you watched it, Matt Costa? Uh, yeah, I watched the. Yeah, they only had one season, right? Yeah, just yeah. eight episodes, yep. I think. Yeah, yeah that was really good. I I enjoyed it. I I like the fact that you know. Like, what do you think a 50-year-old Ash is going to be like? And it's exactly what you would think that it would be like. You know, a lot of false bravado. <laughs> a lot of uh, a lot of dirty moments. A lot, the only thing that I have to say that disappointed me about the first season, I'm sure it'll get... I thought they could have done more with the Deadites. You know, but we'll, we'll get more of that coming up this season. So, there we go. Uh, 
Does anybody want an update on how CM Punk did in his UFC debut? Does anybody care? I do. Can we, I'll say it. Can I'll we, say it. Can do. we say spoiler alert for people that might be listening to the show or watching the show and decided that they decided to wait? Uh, the CM Punk, the supposed best in the world when it came to wrestling, got his ass handed to him. So thank you, Mama Cheryl, for the update. Uh, now you can stop watching UFC and listen to Spooky South Coast, as you should have been doing all along. Now, one of the uh, one of the topics that we can talk about here, and if you don't follow along with the Spooky South Coast uh, Twitter feed, I highly recommend that you do, because as far as I'm concerned, Matt and Chris do a fantastic job of pulling together all of the paranormal stories that are out there during the course of the week. And if you ever have one that you feel like we should share, you can always tweet us at SpookySC and pull our attention to us. But uh, you shared, you guys shared the story from earlier this week from The Sun, which, as we know, is not always... A great bastion of yeah. uh, journal integrity. Yeah. I wouldn't put them up the You know, it's, it's a little bit tabloidy. At times, but uh, there's a woman who said she developed strange marks on her throat and neck. Uh, she was uh, she was investigating for uh, existence of the paranormal, and she claims that she was actually accosted by a, a phantom rope. This this rope mark made physical marks on her, and the question that was posed on the tweet is if you know, do we need to see physical signs like this. Does, 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 if you see something physical like this, does it make you more likely to believe in this? Now, Moniz, I'm sure over the, you were talking about physical evidence when it comes to abduction, ca- abduction cases, but I'm sure you've seen physical things happen in ghost cases as well. Oh, yeah. I've watched people actually have hint your own. Mm. In, in Lizzie Borden's, I actually watched the handprints appear on your neck. And and I remember distinctly when we were investigating uh, at Lizzie Borden's, when I was thrown up against the wall right before that, watching Liz get scratches and welts developing yep. on her body when her hands were down by her side. You know, there's nobody, no way anybody else was doing this, but yet these scratches were showing up out of nowhere. And I could almost buy into the idea that, if someone thought about it enough and, and, and had the, the ability to control their own body enough. Psychosomatic? You, not psychosomatic because, you know, I'm, I'm, psychosomatic also implies that you're imagining it, right? No, it, it's the body's ability to produce something solely through the, the act of the brain. So, I mean, I could believe that you could probably create a welt or, or a boil or something like that. You could make a red mark appear on your skin. I don't think you could scratch yourself Yeah. psychosomatically. I think that that is something that has to be done by the physical act of something else tearing open your skin. And we were seeing actual scratches develop on her. And I know that I've been accosted by things that I couldn't see. But it's still, it's, it's no matter what it is, I can't show that to you and make you believe if you're not going to believe, unless it happens to you. And le- so, 
right. Well, some of the stuff we're talking about, we have on video. I mean, we can show the video of, you know, the person has their hands down by the side and you rewind it three minutes before, there's nothing there, and then you continue on and it shows up. I mean, I've seen, you know, video footage of me uh, and other people having their legs lifted at Lizzie Borton's house. And you can watch the video and you're like, oh, it looks like somebody's holding their legs up in the air. You know, but until you're there and you're actually feeling the, the experience that you have of it happening and when you're seeing it happen to somebody else and realizing, like, okay, nobody could hold their legs out straight for that long like that. You know, when, when this kind of stuff is happening, that's what puts it all in perspective. But I don't think, like, I don't think walking into a room full of skeptics and saying, look at this rope mark on my neck, see? Like, it's, it's never, that's not going to be enough to convince somebody. Does it help? It's part of the narrative. It's part of what happened. It's part of the story of that investigation. But I don't think that it's ever going to prove anything to anybody. Well, you're never going to prove to certain certain people, yeah. See, what I like, though, is the fact that we do have a little bit, at least I see this, of a changing of the mindset of the general public, where you used to get laughed out of the building sometimes about things or completely dismissed and they wouldn't even take it into account. And at least now I think the general population's mindset is kind of like a, all right, I don't think so, but if you want to go try it, knock yourself out. Like, for example, the other day, uh, for those who don't know, the stage show that we put on, An Evening of Ghost Stories New England Legends, we're doing another performance of that, September 27th, at the Company Theater in Norwell. There's a very limited amount of tickets left. I just go to the Company Theater website, and you can purchase your tickets. I think they're $20 each. But the... You know, the, the, the stage show is coming up, and we're adding in new stories. So the story that I'm going to be adding in will cover Plymouth, Massachusetts. And so I was writing up some of the ghost stories of Plymouth, doing some research. And uh, Frank and I went on Thursday, Frank Grace, who does all of the photography for the show, and it's fantastic. Great it's, work. That's what makes the show, is these pictures. Well, I think the, photographs. The, the combination of his artistry with his photography and the ability f- that you guys have for the storytelling of they complement each other well. Well, thank you, but we could just not say anything and just stand there and point to those photos, and it'd still be <laughs> worth twenty bucks. And uh, so we're in Plymouth, we're taking some photos, and there's a certain hotel where they have a haunted room. And we asked, you know, Frank and I are talking about like, what strategy do we use to kind of get in there and be able to go take a because we want to take a picture of the front door. Like, what strategy do we use to be able to go in there and 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 do this? Like, do we tell them what we're doing? Do we kind of say, hey, you know, we're we're filming something, we're we're, we're taking photographs for you know whatever, like the calendar. Yeah, I mean. There's ways of doing it without being dishonest. You know, Frank could say, hey, I just like to document things with my camera and, you know, whatever catches my eye, can I go shoot? And so we decided, you know, honesty would be the best policy. And we walked in and we said, well, this is what we're doing. And there's a story about this room having ghostly experiences. Can we go take a shot of it? And, and they said, hold on, let's just go double check and make sure it's okay, but we don't see why not. And they came up, yep, sure, go right ahead. There you go. And I can tell you that when we started doing this 10 years ago, you didn't get that. You would have gotten, well, this is a place of business, and if you want to take a picture of that room, you have to rent that room, and even then, you know, we're not sure we want to have a picture of our room used in this show, and, you know, but it's, the mindset has changed, and they've embraced the story. 
The the woman working at the front desk told me she's never had any experiences. The guy said he's never had any experiences, but they don't shy away from people sharing those experiences. So I think part of that is changing a little bit. And I think that as that mindset is changing, maybe people don't need to see the physical evidence to be able to believe what happened to you. Because a lot of times there isn't any. So maybe it doesn't have to be something ex- as extreme as, you know, I have these rope marks around my neck. Or I have handprints on my chest or whatever. You know, maybe it can be just something as simple as somebody saying that it happened to them. It still doesn't mean you're going to fully believe it, but at least you're willing to give it more credence than you might have been five, ten years ago. Well, what's that old saying? A true believer requires no evidence and a skeptic no evidence is ever possible. Something like that. Yeah, no, I mean... I think too. There's 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 the business side of it, and uh, and Corey brought it up in the, in the chat room on YouTube. When you are emotionally invested or financially invested in the paranormal, does that hurt your position? This place is a wicked haunted, says the person who's trying to sell you tickets. And that's something that with Legend Trips and with the events that we've put on, we've always been aware of. Is you know we're coming at you and telling you all these amazing stories that are hard to believe, and. Then we're saying, and you can buy a ticket to go check this out, too, for $99. But that doesn't mean that we're, we've always said, you know, we can't guarantee that anything paranormal is going to happen. And we can only tell you what has either happened to us or has been reported there. And it doesn't mean that it's going to happen to you as well. And we try to be upfront with that. Now, do I think that there is a tendency to want places to be haunted because it could be a revenue stream? Absolutely. I think a lot of people look at the money that can be had and said, I want my piece of that. That's just smart business. If there's something that draws people, you're going to exploit it. If there's something that's already been documented and chronicled, yes. But if somebody just kind of makes it up for the purpose of, of getting money, you know, so say, for example, you know, you own a bed and breakfast. There's never been a single report of any paranormal activity there, but you say, I can make a little bit more money in October. I can get twice as much money for this room if I say people who sleep there are, you know, shaken awake every night by some unseen force. Yeah. And so you go with that and you play it up. And then the next thing you know, you know, you've got a moneymaker for yourself. I think that that does happen. And I think that it does happen outside of the paranormal world. I think that it happens from the people who don't understand the mechanisms of, of who's involved with this and what they do. I think that for the most part, people that are involved in it would shy away from that. And the ones who don't are usually outed by the rest of the paranormal community anyway. Hmm. So, But it is something that we always have to be aware of, that we're telling you, you know, come to this place. It's so haunted. Buy a ticket. Maybe you'll have an experience, too. And sometimes in the back of my mind, I say to myself, does, does this sound like I'm just being a salesman? Does this sound like I'm the guy trying to sell you OxyClean? Am I Billy Hayes trying to convince you that this is the best thing that's ever existed for cleaning your floors, or in actuality, it's just a bunch of soap? Uh, the Billy Mays episode, South Park. Yeah, Billy Mays, that's it, Billy Hayes. Billy Mays, Hayes, whatever it was, whatever his name is. But still, you know, we could probably reach him through Paranormal Means now because he's no longer with us. 508-996-0500 if you want to get involved with the discussion. Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast. Good evening. I just wanted to um, thank Matt for sharing his experiences. I think it's incredible, and I don't know how he has a list about him. That's uh, fascinating. But um, I was wondering if he ever heard of Ashtar. Yes. Great. Because there's plenty of books. Um, I've gone to Abe. I don't know if you're familiar with AbeBooks.com. 
Um, I go to through Amazon, and you can get just about any book there. Um, a lot of them on Ashtar, just punch up Ashtar. And a lot of it is him being channeled through. But he's equivalent to Jesus Christ and, and uh, Archangel Michael uh, in regards to um, helping people who are um, possessed in that regard. But he helps people who are being attacked by um, extraterrestrials and whatnot. He's supposed to protect you against such things. So I would look into that. And you're referring to also Ashtar Command. Yes, he's yeah. the commander-in-chief yeah. of the Intergalactical Free Federation of Planets. Yes, and there's a book that I have right now I haven't begun to read called New World Order. It's Prophecies from Space, channeled by the Ashtar Command. And there's a lot of stuff in there. It's very, very interesting. Because what's being done to you is definitely against universal law. All right. Well, thank you very much for the call, and uh, maybe that's something we can pursue for an episode somewhere down the line. Great. Thanks so much. Right. Thank you for the call. Yep. And uh, again, 508-996-0500, 877-996-1420. You know, the question comes up, too, where, you know, people ask this question from time to time. They've seen the monsters and mysteries in America that you were on, and they say, if Moniz has had these experiences in the past, why isn't that it's not discussed on Spooky South Coast? And I think we can kind of break down the, the, the fourth wall a little bit here and explain to people how most of our abduction conversations start to go. Is you and I start talking about this, and then you say something that triggers something in me, and I say, that's enough, I don't want to hear any more. Well, that, and it's also not supposed to be about us. It's supposed to be about the subject well, and other people. But I'm also just talking about, you know, when you and I are just driving, when we have oh, a two-hour yeah. drive ahead of us, and the conversation turns yeah, to that, I quickly dodge it and yes, move the direction did. away. You know, Stephanie won't even discuss it at all. She doesn't um, even want to even hear about yeah, it remotely. And she blames me uh, when things start happening. She's She wound up having a little experience in her place after her and I had a conversation, and she still is mad at me today because of it but i mean i had some weird things happen to me when i was younger and, and we started to, i remember sitting in yep. the library of the Houghton mansion talking about it and i remember i got angry and i told you to shut up yeah and i asked if you really want to know and go forward i, I the offer still will open to no. you if you want to. not interested okay that's uh, what's one that's I'll also open. why i don't you know the offer's there and i'm not going to push i will open any door in the paranormal except that one yeah, because once you open it, you can't close. And I don't, I have no interest in getting involved in any of that. I have no interest in, if I am, if it does happen to me, I want it to be one of those things where I'm completely masking the memory and not be aware of it. Because I might be one of those people that, that suffers a breakdown as a result of it. So, the, the thing, he's giving me this look like, I saw you on the ship, Tim. Why do you think I offered to help with the show? So uh, no, moving I didn't on. run across you, but I could. Could you be involved in it? That's for you to decide whether you want to know or not. Moving on. So, uh, what else did you think about Stranger Things, Mac? <laughs> I'm just trying to wait. No, wait. There's aliens in that too. I know it. Yep. So let's go in a different direction. Uh, so the it, getting back to the idea of these places that uh, that want to be haunted, and, and wa- I mean, we were talking about this a couple of weeks ago, where. It can be something that can make or break a place. To some, my headphones are all goofy. It can be a place that uh, a thing that can make a place, but it could also be a downside. We saw this a couple of weeks ago. Fort Tabor was featured on Fort Tabor, Fort Rodman was featured on Ghost Hunters, and they've had extreme interest in people getting in there. But 
they've also had to increase the police presence down there, increase the security down there because they also have people who just want to jump in there and try and do this on their own. They're like, you know what? I've always wanted to go look for ghosts and Fort Tabor's haunted and I know we can just walk right into one of these batteries and check it out. So it's a, it's a two-sided coin because you want there to be that avenue for tourism, but at the same time, it has a lot of responsibility attached to it. And people who own abandoned buildings sometimes don't really care that much about the responsibility of that. You know, they're like, hey, you sign a waiver, you can go in and do whatever you want, and then we'll see what happens. But that's not really a safe way to operate. And then again, as somebody who wants to get into these places, I love it when they're, when they're like, no, I just own it. I don't really do anything with it. I haven't done any renovations. Perfect. Good. The creepier, the better. So... Well, there's there's a question that somebody brought up uh, in the chat room. Jim brought up the idea of the Amityville house. I think that's one place where they always could take advantage of it and turn it into money, and they've done the exact opposite. They've uh, Part of it is, I think, the neighborhood. The neighborhood won't allow for it. But the other part of it, too, is the people who have lived there have had no... In- they want those people away from their house. And it has turned into that thing where... You know, now it's become a, a negative. It's same with the the farmhouse from The Conjuring. It's a negative. It might have been a positive at one point for Norma. She was on Ghost Hunters. She obviously reached out and felt like the case was strong enough and the activity was strong enough to be featured on an episode of the television show. But then the movie comes out, all hell breaks loose, and now she wants to disavow all of that. Well... Because it is a two-sided coin. Sometimes it does get to the point where you can't handle it. And it's whatever you thought would be the benefit, the negative far outweighs it. 508-996-0500-877-996-1420. And then you have the other paranormal side of things, too. Uh, Something that we've discussed a little bit over the last couple of weeks but there's the religious aspect of things. And I got into a conversation over the last week. Religion, <clears> like <throat> politics, can spiral out of control really quickly. Oh, believe quickly. me, I know. I, it happens on Saturday mornings. Well, I feel bad for you. Because so, usually I end up putting my foot in my mouth anyway. People would say, but you used to have the church lady on. Yes, but I let her do all the talking. I didn't know what she was talking about. I just let her handle it all. But I go into this discussion with somebody because they're having stuff happen at their house, uh, activities going on in their home, and they asked if I could direct them to somebody that could help them, but that would be respectful of their religion. And I said, well, anybody should be able to do that. Anybody should be able to come in and help you and take your beliefs into account because it's your home. It's your, you know, it's your family dynamic. It's your belief system. They can't go in there and start telling you what to believe. They can only go in there and try and document if there's an answer and a solution for what this activity is that they can explain. And so, long story short, they had had somebody come in, and this person originally uh, immediately started coming in, talking the D word, mentioning the demonic. Uh, offering to do saging and smudging and all that stuff to try and scare the spirits out, and also telling the people that it was their practice of religion in their own home that was drawing these entities out and angering these entities. 
so the the real question became, you know, how do you tie this into your religion? I almost think like at some point you have to cut that cord and say that we need to keep this separate from that. I know that Moniz, you've you've dealt with a few cases where you've had to kind of dance around some. I know you've talked to me about cases where people have been ultra religious, yeah, and it has had a negative effect in you being able to do the job as a researcher. It yeah, it it hinders it because I'm trying to be open, objective, and looking at everything, and they have this one colored filter, and that's the only thing that they want to see. Or, or anything relating to that. Anything else other than that is, you know, they, they want to reject it because it doesn't fit into their little view and paradigm. The the way that I tried to explain to this person, and I don't I don't know if it's going to make a difference or not, but I often use the analogy of an exterminator when dealing with paranormal. You know, why why do you pay an exterminator to come into your house and clear out the rats when paranormal investigators aren't supposed to charge you to come in and conduct a paranormal investigation. Well, because at the end of the time that the person spends in the house, the exterminator can hold up the dead rat for you and say, this is what's worth my $200 or how much it costs. I don't know. Yeah. I just live with the rats. So, or the paranormal researcher can come out and say, you know, I, I, I definitely detected a ghost in your house and I told it to go away. But that'll be two hundred dollars. Well, there's no way to prove that you're not holding the dead rat, so there's no way to know for sure. But I did mention to this person, kind of use that analogy. Don't look at this person as somebody who the researcher is somebody who's coming in and shaking up your belief set, shaking up what you've always felt about God and your relationship with the universe. Look at it more as if there's some sort of unwanted pest in your house. And this person is just coming in there to try and find out if it really is there. But the, I guess because you're dealing with the afterlife, or supposedly the afterlife, that people can't make that separation. What if a ghost isn't a dead person? Then religion really doesn't come into play anymore, does it? Depending upon the religion. I know, but you know, I'm I'm talking about, you know, uh, Christian-based religions. Judeo-Christian. I mean, they're the ones that usually have. Let me pose this to you. What about the people that? What was that noise? Not entirely sure, but you heard that too, though, right? Yeah, but figured something with the board and whatever. Mark time. Yeah. (laughs) Twenty-three fifty-two. Some weird sound. It right. sounded like a voice. It sounded like a voice to me. That's why I figured it may have been one of the commercials firing. I thought it was Matt's phone. Playing sound, but he no. has no. the microphone yeah. connected in. But my my question to you: What about the people that don't seek any help? They're they're just suffering through a haunting or what have you. What what point does religion play there? And, you know, the, does their beliefs change what happens there, or or does it, does it only make a difference once an investigator gets into it? You know, just another outside observer. You got where I'm going? Yeah, no, I, I definitely see where you're going. But I also think, too, that, you know, the same thing as what we're talking about with the abduction cases. You know, you, you need to have it, – it, well, it's easier to, to verify it and it's easier to buy it if there's been multiple witnesses. And I kind of want multiple witnesses that have different approaches, which is why I've always kind of hated the idea of a paranormal group that's led by, you know, the lead investigator who dictates what the um, 
team mindset will be and what the team belief set will be in going in and doing research. I think a lot of different viewpoints. Look at the events that we do, okay? When we do events, we never pitch one specific way to believe and one specific mindset or one specific investigative technique. We just kind of give people what works for us, but we also have no problem with them coming in and doing whatever they want. It's a fully democratic investigation, and it works. Yep. And we get a lot of results from it because nobody's tied into one method when that method might not be getting results and something else might be. You know, there's always that freedom to try something else, and we kind of all put our own beliefs, you know, like like we are the world, you know, the USA for Africa, check your egos at the door. We kind of check our belief sets at the door to some degree because we just want to go out there and, and see if we can have an experience. And I think that it works well. And I think that it keeps us from stepping on each other's toes and it keeps us from stepping on each other's beliefs because if you're not pushing your own agenda, then it doesn't always feel like somebody else is pushing theirs, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Like, No, I understand. And one of the things I find very interesting about some of the events that we do is I've seen people doing totally different techniques and then all of a sudden everybody's getting results, even though they're doing doing things completely differently from each other. So uh, that goes to show you, you know, not one particular technique is the best. If they're all producing results, you know, all the better, at least there, in my opinion. There's, there's a question that popped up uh, in the chat room a little while back, and there's a delay between the YouTube and in the show itself. And so I'm not exactly sure what it was that we were talking about when this question came up. But uh, Corey asked the question, if you have a radio show or a TV show and you really question your guests, wouldn't you after a while gain a reputation and you would then have nobody wanting to be on the show? I think that we, this is something that we have talked about. I know that I've talked about it at length with Chris Balzano over the years. I've talked about it with Jeff Belandro over the years. We've talked about it amongst ourselves where that is the question, you know, how much of it is you are the avenue for guests to come on and have their say, and how much of it is you're supposed to be asking the hard-hitting questions. I come at things from a journalistic point of view because I'm a journalist. It's what I do. But I don't think that you have to be a journalist to have a talk show. I don't think that you have to be uh, questioning and pushing on all these questions. Sometimes it's just a matter of letting people share their experience and share their story and share what they have to say and just keeping the discussion flowing. And we've I've tried to alternate depending on what the situation and the night and the subject calls for in doing that. But would you gain a reputation of people not wanting to come on the show? I don't think so. I think that if you are somebody, you know, if you look at some of these TV news talk shows, you know, the stuff on CNN on Fox News, there's people won't go on with certain hosts. There's people who won't go on with Bill Maher. There's people who won't go on with, uh, you know, Shepard Smith. There's people who will avoid these specific hosts and, and people who will ask questions because of what they consider to be the preconceived notions or because of the way they'll conduct the interview. I've never wanted us to be that way because if I, if, if a challenge does come, it's only to further the discussion. And some of our best guests have been people who have stood up to strong questions and some of our worst guests have been people who built it under them but i think there's a little bit there's room for all of that as long as it's done with respect and that's the one thing that we always try to do here is we try to have the conversation with respect because we don't really know 
None of us. We we think that we do. We we have strong feelings, but we don't really know. So because nothing's definite, we can't definitely say what's right or wrong. We're just trying to have a conversation, trying to have a discussion, trying to further along the topic and see if we all can at least have a little bit of entertainment in our lives while we're trying to find out these answers. So that's my, my little bit of a soapbox to wrap up this show as we are up against the clock. We will be back next week, though. I believe Linda Godfrey is our guest. Uh, we'll be talking some monsters because that's what Linda researches. She researches all kinds of strange and unusual monsters. So we will do that coming up next Saturday night when we'll be here live at 10 o'clock. No matter what goes on with the Red Sox, you can always catch us on YouTube live beginning at 10 o'clock and, of course, here on WBSM following the games and always wherever podcasts are found, all the archives on YouTube, of course, the rebroadcasts on the Dark Matter Radio Network. This show is everywhere, and you can find it. You just have to type in Spooky South Coast, and you will find it no matter where you go. So that will do it for this week's show. As I mentioned, we will be back next week. Uh, I'm sure some of you will be out to Houghton, but for the rest of you, until then, stay spooktacular.